0: Today, we will be starting a new series called A New Way to be Human, and our scripture reading is from Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness.
1: Well, hey, good morning. My name's Nate. Good to be with you. Um, so as we begin this five-week series entitled New Way to Be Human, uh, here's the notion of it. It's, it's this. We kind of look the last few weeks at what difference does the gospel make. And we've talked about how the gospel actually deals with our messy past as it relates to forgiveness and last, we looked at this hope that brings about meaning in the midst of suffering. In other words, a future hope that changes things. But the next five weeks, we're looking at actually how the gospel changes us in the present moment. So here's the question for you. Who are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? You know, um, A number of years ago, David Brooks, New York Times columnist, wrote a column about the difference between two types of virtues. He said, one is the resume virtues, and the other is the eulogy virtues. Uh, The resume virtues, these are the ones that you are developing as skills to bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues, these are the ones mentioned at your funeral. Which are deeper. In other words, what is the nature of your relationships? Are you bold, loving, dependable, consistent? And he made this comment in this column. He said, if we're honest, most of us focus on the resume virtues. Most of us are thinking about the skills we're developing in the present moment for a particular job or vocation or place in life. And yet, he would say this, most of us, if we're honest, know that the eulogy virtues are actually far more important. And he just made the point that actually most of the systems in place, even education-wise, most things are actually shaped for the resume virtues. In other words, we're a lot clearer on how to build an external career and how to actually build inner character. And here's what I want to propose to you over the next five weeks. That the passage that was just read is how the Apostle Paul unpacks how Christianity is different from anything else in this world, both in how it works and both in what it offers to build a deep, inner character. It's an entirely new way to be human. So four things this morning. We're going to see the new self, the new wardrobe, the new process, and a new syllabus. So let me pray and we'll get in. Father, just pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the new self. You know, um, in verse 22 and 24, there's two phrases. It, it says to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And commentators know that the underlying tense of the verbs there is a singular, completed, action, which for all you people who love grammar, that's really exciting, I know. But what difference does that make, right? Well, here's the difference. Christianity actually puts it this way, as one pastor put it. Christianity is not merely about trying harder or about doing better or about making small incremental cosmetic changes. Rather, it's a decisive break from the past. In other words, the grammar in those two Those two phrases, to put off and to put on, is saying, there has been a dramatic thing that has happened in your life if you're a Christian. And we actually see it in verses 17 to 19. Listen to what Paul writes. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's notable, Paul is writing to Gentiles who have become Christians, and Paul is now saying, don't live like those that you were just around. And notice how he describes the pattern of the life of those who are not yet a follower of Christ. It's, it's this very dark way of living. One of the most dark statements in this section is in verse 19. It says that they have given themselves up to sensuality. And one pastor know this. It's, it's the language of addiction. Uh, you know, in addiction, what you do is you hand yourself over to something to serve it. You know, it might be, instead of just one beer to just get the buzz, you need a few more. Or think about this in our kind of technological, you know, mindset of our screens, right? We get that dopamine hit when we check our InstaFace account, and that, and that helps once, but then we need another hit, and another hit, and before you know it, our screen time is through the roof, because the first buzz doesn't hit, And of course, we all know that when you become addicted to something, in the end, you end up serving it, and it begins to destroy you from the inside out, which is why when it describes a life apart from Christ, it says there's a futility in their mind. It means they've lost touch with reality, which is basically this. It means to build your life on things that don't last. It's to build your life on things that aren't true thinking they'll actually give you something. In the end, it falls out from under you. It's an illusion. And Paul is saying to these Christians, that's your old self. Put on your new self. There's been a fundamental break from the past because of the work of Christ. And earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul would describe those who put their trust in Christ that you were used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. But now, he says, but God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. Do you see this decisive break? I put it this way: this week I was I had lunch with one of our members, and his job is to design computers. He designs motherboards. And um, he's he's brilliant. I don't even know. He's 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 a very calm, low-key guy, but he designs motherboards, and I was talking to him about his projects he was working on this week, and um, I said, what are you excited about? He said, oh, I'm designing this motherboard for this new Intel chip that hasn't even come out yet. I was like, oh my word. How's that for a week, right? Do you realize what that means? It means this, if you put any other chip in that motherboard, it won't work. It doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the capability. And here's what Paul's saying here. This new self, the operating system, is the gospel. Apart from the gospel, apart from the work of Christ, this new self is not even possible. And here's what this means if you're a Christian this morning, this means you have the new self. There has been a decisive break. That's why Paul, in verse 17, he makes this very this statement. He says, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul is saying, You have a new self. Why would you go back to the way you used to live? To this darkened way of understanding. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. put it this way, sometimes, and this is what one pastor put, he said, sometimes people will come up to him, and this happened to me as well, and they'll say this, if I become a Christian, will I have to stop, and then you kind of fill in the blank, you know, sometimes it's, will I have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend, or will I have to do something different with my money, will I have to give more away, and usually, almost always, the answer is yes. Actually, yeah, that is something you would have to give up. But, but then this, this pastor made this comment. He said this. If you come at that way, you're asking the wrong question. You don't know the very essence of Christianity if you're asking that question. Let me just unpack it for you this way. The essence of Christianity is not you remaking yourself to make yourself acceptable to him. It's rather coming to him as you are dead and him making you alive. It means relying on his son Jesus to remake you from the inside out, to turn the lights on, That's the new self Paul says we're to put on. It's a decisive break. But then secondly, there's a new wardrobe. The the language of putting off and putting on, it actually communicates, um, it's the language of changing clothes. We all know what that's like. Um, This past week, my oldest got her first prom dress. Okay, she came home, immediately put it on came out, and just was glowing, right? I mean, just, and she twirled. I mean, she wanted to show us all that these things this dress could do, and she was beaming, and she didn't want to take it off. And I was like, sweetie, we got Citigroup coming over. I mean, I suppose. I mean, they know us. I suppose you could, but... Um, And what's happening here in this passage is Paul is saying, This new self, you have a new wardrobe to put on. You have a new wardrobe. Something new to wear. And it's beautiful. Paul actually unpacks this new wardrobe, the rest of the chapter, and into the next chapter. Let me just read. Verses 25 through 32. And actually, just so you know, our series, we're gonna be taking each set of these articles of clothing over the next few weeks, focusing in on one of them. Note the old self and the new self part of this. So here he is, 425 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. And wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice what Paul's doing here. He's a couple things. Notice how this wardrobe deals with our attitudes and our actions and our motives. And also notice this. This is the stuff of everyday life. Think about it. What do you do with your anger? You have a new wardrobe for that. How about your vocation? There's a new wardrobe for that. How about your words to your children? There's a new wardrobe for that. Notice how all of these are relational. They're all relational. They have to do about a new way of relating. In other words, and this is the key, you know, as my daughter said the other night, she didn't want to take off this new wardrobe, this new prom dress she had. And Paul is saying, check this, this is to be worn at all times. And guess what? Think about how these are all practical things. These are the stuff of every day. This is not two hours on Sunday and a city group gathering or whatever. This is throughout the day as you relate to others. This is on your way to work when that guy cuts you off and dealing with the anger at that point, right? Did you see how this new way to be human, it, it intersects with every aspect of our life. That's what this that's what Paul is calling us to. That's how the, the, the gospel changes us. But, but thirdly, it's a new process. Um, most of the time, when people see this list of this new wardrobe, it's kind of viewed as this, like, to-do list. You know? Okay, I need to build others up with my words, not tear them down. Um, but, but it actually goes far deeper. And Paul uses three, three infinitives in this time to talk about this process, and it shows how different this process is for the Christian, how change happens. And it's the, the three things are this. It's actively repent, passively receive, and dynamically apply. So let's look at the first one here. Verse 22, actively repent. It says this. Paul writes, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To put off literally means to disrobe. It means to stop, but notice something here. It's a deeper type of disrobing. It's a deeper type of repenting. Let me put it this way. You know, um, this weekend, I know a lot of you were out doing yard work yesterday and you loved it, and it was fantastic. But you also know in the next two or three weeks what's gonna happen to your lawn. There's gonna be dandelions that are gonna grow up. It's gonna happen. And the thing about dandelions is this, is that one thing you can do is just get your mower and just, you know, mow it. The remarkable thing is like by the end of the day, and I'm not joking, they will grow back. You know that, right? Like, it's the most annoying thing. That's one way you can deal with them. You know if you have to deal with them, you have to get to the root issue. And I want to show you something here. In this verse, Paul uses the word desires. And that the word desire is a word epithumia in the Greek. And it's actually used almost every time Paul speaks of change in the Christian life. He uses this word. And it's a heart that over-desires something. It's taking not necessarily a bad thing or an evil thing, but it makes it an ultimate thing. So it becomes an idol. Let me give you an example. Do you know why you and I struggle with gossip? There is an over-desire to belong. We take words... And we tell others to create a false sense of intimacy. That's why when you get morsels of news, you want to tell other people in your network of friends because then they'll hang on your every word, oftentimes making yourself look better than them. Is, is wine to belong a bad thing? No. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, what does it do? It corrodes, it tears down. It actually doesn't end up very well because ultimately in those relationships, you just begin to talk about each other and it just breaks down. You can't trust anybody. In other words, to actively repent, to actively change in this moment, it's not just to repent of words, it's actually to repent all the way down to what's happening in your heart. What is it you really want? Do you see how this isn't just behavior modification? This goes all the way down to motives at the very core of who we are. That's what Paul's saying here. But secondly, we've got to passively receive. Verse 23, Paul says this, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Uh, this is in the, it's it's in a passive voice, which means this, that God is actually at work in your life, Um, that He's actually at work, you are passively receiving, you're the object of something He is doing. Um, Let let me put it this way. Do you know um, what is probably one of the most important things for you to do in the midst of seeing your life transformed. It is really to get yourself around scripture. There's a moment in Jesus when, in John 17, Jesus says, this, Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. And the, the language they're is saying is that God's word has the power to actually change you. So let me give you an illustration. So, you know, when you go to, um, let's say you go to a river and you're on the banks, and you see rocks that are on the banks of the river, and you pick one of them up, normally they're very jagged, right? They're, they're, they're not smooth at all. But you know when you go into the river, if you get a moment, and you can get down in and you pick up a rock there, oftentimes they're smooth. And here's the deal, the only difference between the rock in the river and the rock on the side here is not in in and of themselves, it's where they are. See, all the rocks in the river, they used to be on the side, but they got in the river. And over time, the water began to smooth it out. In other words... In one sense, you can't do anything about passively receiving. Like, God has got to be at work. But there is something you can do about putting yourself in a place to be transformed, to be renewed in your mind. And it's really just putting yourself into Scripture. In some sense, it's, it's here and it's gathered here in the corporate worship. But, you know, one of my friends' last couple of weeks, there's a particular thing he's walking through And he just knew, here's the text I need, and it was on his phone. Because he knew he needed it. It's those sort of things. And thirdly, we got to dynamically apply. Verse 24 And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, in the everyday moments, you've got to put on, you've got to apply what God is like in those moments. And here's the question, how do I know what that looks like? Well, lastly, you need a new syllabus. Do you guys remember, well, some of you do, some of you don't, but do you remember in college getting a syllabus the first day, and you look through it for the content, right? You'd be listing through, when are the exams? What do I have to read? How many chapters? Paul lays out a syllabus. It's in verses 20 through 21, and look at what he writes. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Uh, Commentator's note, check this, the content is a person. Recently, um, I've been going through a, a book Ed Welch wrote on anger. And in one of the sections, he talks about Jesus and Jesus' anger. And it was remarkable. Ed Welch noted this. Jesus got angry. He got angry at leaders who were more interested in protocol than in a man being healed. Jesus did get angry. Jesus got angry when people were using the temple to make a profit. Uh, Jesus got upset when disciples kept children away from him so he couldn't bless them. Notice something there. Jesus gets angry when other people's welfare is at stake. And then he made this interesting note Jesus was never angry when he was personally violated. When he was accused falsely. When he was betrayed. When he was denied. Notice that. Do you see how different with anger that is with Jesus than us? Right? Normally us, it's like, you know, I get home, and maybe it's been a hard day, and is and unpacking the day, and I'm just like, can I just be by myself a little bit here? Like, can I get some me time? And, you know, it's, for me, it's, it's all like very nice how I do it, but really it's a withdrawal, you know. See, that's it. Jesus, he's the actual one. He's the syllabus. He's the content. In every one of these articles of clothing, Tim Chester puts it this way, we're to study his character, learn his role, understand his motivation, so that in every situation we can improvise the part. One more thing. Jesus is not merely an example. Uh, look for a moment a little bit later, Ephesians 5 1 through 2. Paul writes this Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. God. In other words, one of the keys to this application is not just looking to Christ as an example, but it is seeing the beauty of what he has done and how he has been towards you. Do you see what Paul's saying there? That Christ loved you and gave himself up for you? Think about this for a moment. It's actually the gospel that we need to see over and over again that begins to transform us. It's seeing His love for us, His costly death on the cross, and His life for us. That is what changes us. And think about it for a moment. Listen, for the tired, exhausted mom who is struggling with patience with her kid, think about it. You need to see the patience and kindness that God has towards you in Christ. You need to be wooed and see the beauty of that so that you might be an image bearer of that towards those around you. Or just apply it to your annoying coworker, whatever it might be. You, you need to see his patience with you. Or think about this with your words. Listen, Let's go back to the gossip conversation. You wanna belong. You so want to belong, do you not? You wanna belong, you wanna belong to this group, you wanna belong to this. Do you understand? You belong to Him. He has loved you all the way down and He knows you all the way down and you belong to Him. And don't you see, that is how transformation happens, because that is a new identity lived out by the new self. And let me just be honest with you, these are going to be some hard weeks. And why? Because we still have the old self kicking it, right? Right? You know, um, C.S. Lewis has this great, great analogy. He says, imagine yourself a living house. And God comes to rebuild that house. And at first, you understand what he's doing. You know, you knew that they were getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof. You knew that those things were needed to be done. You're not surprised by that. But then he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt abominably. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Let me pause for a moment here. Let me ask you, where is there pain in your life? Where is life hard right now? Can I be honest with you? That's exactly where God is at work. Do you understand that? That's exactly where he's at work. And then Lewis writes this, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a nice little decent cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Here's my hope over these next few weeks together that we would grow up to be a community that puts on the new self and is continually transformed. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this new life that you have given in Christ. And we just acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge um, how we are apathetic at times. How we think we're doing fine. And yet, Lord, you are in the business of transforming us into something glorious. And so just pray by your Spirit over these weeks that you would Be at work in very clear ways, dealing with our anger, with our vocation, dealing with our words, dealing with our relationships that need to be repaired. That you would, in the best way possible, be making us uncomfortable because you have something far greater planned. And so we give you to ourselves, we give ourselves to you, and we ask this in your name. Amen.